welcome back to The Drip. We are the podcast where academics of color sit around and discuss great books. Each episode features a free-flowing conversation about one book that leads us to a broader conversation about race, culture, politics, all the things that keep us gabbing when we're hanging out in coffee shops or each other's homes or when we are still each in our own homes. Because, well, although we're living closer to each other right now, we are still in different cities and states. And we are sending our love to Monterey Bay, Half Moon Bay, Memphis, and all other communities coping with the aftermath of gun violence and police violence. The demand now and always is an end to white supremacy, toxic masculinity, and the police. I'm Anita Chikatur, the host for the show, and I teach in the Department of Educational Studies at Carleton College. Crystal. Hi, I'm Crystal Moten. I'm a public historian who lives in the Midwest and whose agenda is always to lift up the hidden histories and stories of Black people in the Midwest. Thanks, Crystal. Todd. I like that. That's That was nice. I am Todd Lawrence. I teach African-American literature and expressive culture, folklore, and cultural studies in the English department at the University of St. Thomas. Thank you. All right. Today, we are discussing Leon Ross's latest novel, Pupisho, which I found out is called This One Sky Day in the UK. So Ross is a Jamaican Scottish writer who's written short stories and novels, poetry and nonfiction. She has also worked as a journalist and an editor. Papisha was shortlisted for the 2021 Goldsmiths Prize and was included on the long list for the 2022 Women's Prize for Fiction. And the novel has drawn comparisons to authors such as Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Toni Morrison, Erin Thippi Roy. And I'm sure we'll sort of discuss other authors perhaps that this book made us think of. So before we dig in, spoiler alert, just a reminder that when we discuss our books, we will talk about everything. As you may know, we do call ourselves the All Spoilers Collective. So consider this your perpetual universal all-encompassing spoiler alert. So I wanted to start by talking about, I think when all of us were kind of starting to read the book, I think it took us a little while to kind of get used to the setting, to the language, and it made me think about our discussion of vagabonds, and also maybe Crystal, what you said when we were reading Borderless, right, this idea that we kind of had to read slowly because we didn't necessarily have a lot of the context, right, kind of what was happening. And obviously the book, like some of what's happening isn't, you know, quote unquote real, right, the whole idea that everybody on Pupisho has um, cores, right, some sort of magic, and that magic can kind of manifest in a variety of ways. Um, so I wanted to start by asking the two of you just to start uh, by saying a bit about your experience reading the book and then maybe we'll kind of get into some of the other stuff. Yeah, that's a that's a good question and a great place to start because it allows me to kind of make this caveat for all of my comments for the remainder of this episode and is that <laughs> I started lost, I was lost in the middle and I think toward the end I was less lost but the thing also to remember about me is that I also don't do well I can't even read a map very well so even if I had a map I probably would still be lost um and so as I read the the um book I kept trying to find my footing but each chapter I there was something that kind of knocked me off made me more unstable and so it was mm -hmm. really hard and and I won't say that it wasn't enjoyable but I just was throughout the book, I was just grappling to kind of find and keep something a little bit familiar. And I think um, the main character, every time Xavier kept coming back in, I was like, oh, okay, I kind of know who Xavier is. I know his role as the island chef, you know, I, I, I can see like part of and I know kind of in terms of understanding his struggle with losing his wife and how he was grappling with grief that kind of felt familiar. But 
every other character and every other kind of storyline as it was added I just thought okay what's going on here where's this taking us what should I be understanding and knowing do I understand and know no <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I agree like the book when you're reading it you don't have a sense of being grounded too much it's like you feel lost sometimes and it keeps throwing new things at you like like you said new characters for sure um new characters in every single chapter and um the names are always interesting and sometimes for, for me they're hard to remember sometimes i would um, later in the book a character would come back and i was like wait which one was that you know so i think when we first started that uh, anita did you send us a picture of like a, a list of characters and map map of characters and stuff you were creating and uh, i didn't do that but that would have been really helpful <laughs> i marked every name the first time it appeared in the novel and that helped a little bit but i wanted to say like i think that i wonder if we might think about the ways that this book basically resists certain expectations that we have as readers mm -hmm. and expectations that have been formed or influenced by let's say stereotypically masculine ways of writing or ways of thinking about story structure and sometimes i you know talk about this with my students you know you have like the sort of a typical kind of shape of a of a plot with you know sort of ascending conflict and action and then the resolution of that conflict and action and i don't not to say that this is uh, still sort of adhered to or thought of as like accurate, but sometimes, you know, more women centered writing or um, feminist writing has like a series of sort of like small kind of conflicts or something like that instead of this really big one. Or it doesn't like it doesn't operate on the same logic that everything should be resolved in this particular way or that every bit of the of the plot should fit together in a nice you know, clear picture. So I, I think I would just maybe put that out there that there are ways that this book sort of pushes back and resists being something that we expect it to be. And, and mm -hmm. both because of what it's about and because of the shape that it takes and the route that it takes to get from beginning to end. So that's so that's so good. I really like that, um, Todd, and, and kind of thinking about from beginning to end, I think we can even, you know, throw that out the window a little right. bit. What's the beginning? What's the end? You know, because this yeah. book feels to me so, as you were saying, linear, I've, I was, of course, thinking of a, a typical understanding of, you know, a line in terms of being able to follow the plot. But this book felt so zigzaggy or circular or just, you know, uh, not our, our um, you know, that, like you said, that typical way we've been trained to read um, or to what to expect from the way a story should go in a book. This kind of just expanded all of that. Yeah, I think, you know, I was surprised when I told you guys that after I finished it, which wasn't very long ago before we started recording, I immediately started like reading a few reviews of it. And they kept mentioning that the story of the book takes place over a single day. And I was like, wait, what? And uh, <laughs> because it keeps going back in time so much, right? Like, yes. it, so maybe the main kind of plot line is a day, maybe two days. I, I saw some somebody say a like a couple, days, couple of yeah. days, but it's not very much time. But then you go back in time so much to people's childhoods and things like that, that feels like much longer. It feels like it's sprawling, you know, like an epic kind of novel yeah, when it definitely. actually doesn't take much time for it to take place. I actually think, Crystal, what you said about how like something in you know every chapter was like throwing you off and like you never quite found your footing. 
I actually think that's how the characters are experiencing those couple of days or a couple of weeks. So that actually makes so much sense to me now, right? Because on um, so when this is like the when the chapter where the governor's talking and this is on three eighty four and he says Papisha was just too goddamn Papisha right about now, right? So even <laughs> though it's like this place that has like all this magic and things are always happening in the time period where the novel takes place. Like, even they are experiencing it as, like, an extra, like, yes. you know, like, Papisha being, like, extra. So I think that actually is, like, the perfect encapsulation of, like, how we're supposed to feel, right? It is, like, destabilizing. Because mm. even for the characters who, like, do have a sense for, like, what the island's all about, they're, like, destabilized in all these different ways. So I actually feel like you, like, basically got it, right? Like, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Like, great. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's the whole point of this, you know, because it's like leading up to this like sweet hurricane. So things are happening that are like usually, you know, even with all the like magic that's happening all the time, like it's like feels extra for everybody because there is like something happening that's like destabilizing not only right, maybe our sense of like what a novel should look like, but even Mm -hmm. for the characters, it's like a completely destabilizing time. So I think that actually like makes so much sense to me. And we we felt that way. Yeah, and we want explanations for things, right? Like we want right. to understand why something is happening, and sometimes the book just doesn't tell us. I mean, especially coming off of we, we're coming off of like two mystery novels in a row, right? Like, <laughs> everything's so explained. Everything's got to be explained. Everything's got to be tied up in the end. If not, we're gonna pan the book. But this, like, the biggest thing that happens that is like the pom poms falling out. Like we never get an explanation <laughs> for why that happens. Like that's just unexplained, right? And it's it's, right, right. it's unbelievable. It's amazing, uh, but th- we don't know why that happens, and we don't even kind of understand the like logic of it and how it works. Like all of a sudden they can put them back in, really? Like you just pop them? Yeah, just pop them right. <laughs> like, I was like, what? <laughs> and you can put in somebody else's. Apparently, I mean, it don't have to be yours. Yeah. Right, Cassanti like loses hers and finds another one. Yeah, she thinks it's hers, which I also was like, that's kind of funny, right? Because there's a the whole thing about how like women really, you know, are not encouraged to like know their own bodies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like we could put in somebody else's pump pump, and we'll be like, well, we don't know. <laughs> well, it it gives us. Yeah, I totally. I mean, like, I think that is just fascinating. And I, when I when that first happened, like, of course, you know, everyone out there listening to us, we are texting each other when these things are happening as we're reading the book. And like the first person, I don't know which one was the first one of us to be like, uh, Anita, what just happened? Oh, I was like, have you gotten to the pom-poms falling out yet? <laughs> and I was like, ah, uh, not there yet. And then I got there. I was like, oh, oh, this is bigger than I thought. But I was thinking of, um, you know, the color purple and how in that book um Seely, you know uh, Suge Avery has her to look at her uh, vagina with a with a mirror right and like that was right. such a revolutionary moment and people got kind of upset when they made the movie and Steven Spielberg didn't like really show that scene in the movie you know this is like the central right. and then I was like man in this book not only do you have a mirror like you could just look at it straight in like ha- hold it in your hands and examine it and really see it like I, that was like crazy but really powerful i thought you know there yeah. was some powerful scenes with women being able to see this part of their body that of course society has deemed to be dirty and right. dangerous and um valuable precious in a way that you should like keep it under lock and key you know like right. there's all this sort of stuff that th- that plot point just kind of like disrupts i think which is really interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and because there's also that uh, one of the sex workers, right, who like decides that she's going to throw it away because it's yep. actually been 
like the source of potentially like repression or like keeping her in place, right? So I think it's like both like the power, but also right the ways in which women's sexualities or sexualities used to like oppress them or to keep them in a particular place. I think it's like so it was kind of like a range of reactions that people had to their pop pops right. like falling out, right? Because it wasn't mm-hmm. all like worry or like shock, right? It was also kind of like, oh, maybe this is for the best. And so I thought that yeah, was like- relief. Also, like, Some of them really had relief. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and maybe we can like move into this just because we brought up the pop pops. <laughs> but I think there's like a lot in there around like gender and sexuality, right? I mean, there's like Romanza, right? Who basically gets kicked out of his family for being queer. But there was also like that whole thing with like the song that was coming out, <laughs> like Xavier is like making fun of Xavier's I guess like sexual powers which maybe was connected to like right the fact that his wife I think committed suicide right or at least that's the you know way it's kind of framed uh, but yeah I was just kind of just curious about what you all thought about the ways in which gender sexuality portrayed especially like Todd your point about if we're like thinking of this as kind of challenging masculinist right kind of ideas about storytelling and right what a novel should look like yeah, I am. Um, I was thinking when you were, you know, just to go back to the pum pums again, but I think the the it seemed like the people who were, I don't know, it is both men and women who are um, horrified about the pum pums, but in different kind of ways. And I I think I think you're right to sort of point out that the well, I mean, there's a whole thing whenever um, I don't in in TSR, I don't if that's how you pronounce his name. Um, oh, because the, the pump, yeah, the governor, because the pump pumps have fallen out, says no one can have sex for 24 right. hours or whatever, and people go completely crazy. It wasn't um, because pump pumps were falling out, it was because his daughters, because his daughters fell right. out and went missing. Yeah, because her, her uh, fiance dropped it in a river accidentally, <laughs> <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, uh, is a, is a, <laughs> a super dumb move by a fiance. <laughs> I don't think he worst. did it intentionally. It was an accident. It was an accident that, like, like, I was like, dude, what? Oh, man, you're in trouble. But I mean, but just, but just, but just on this point, though, the fact that Santian, that may be a mispronunciation, but, you know, she was so, she didn't know what to do with it. So she literally just gives it away, right? Mm -hmm. She just gives away her pum pum and (laughs) it's like, you take care of it. You do something with it. Like, to me, that's when I'm just like, what? Oh, oh, okay. I mean, and and that is kind of evidence of what we were, what you were saying, Anita, around, you know, this idea that women and their knowledge of their bodies and and, and, in some ways also their fear of their Mm -hmm. bodies, right? Um, And so her reaction was not to be like, oh it fell out let me I don't know it was like to give it to him mm-hmm. and I just found that so interesting and then you know he mistakenly you know drops it in the river and I'm just like see that's what happens when women give something no I'm just kidding right. no I think I think that's totally not gonna go true there. not gonna go there not gonna go there I think that's but I think it is I think it's true like I was just thinking when you were talking that in a, in a patriarchal society women's sexuality is not owned by them this is like that's the right. literal um representation of that when they you know when when their pom-poms become like um material possessions like that you can hold and put in your pocket and everything you see them like holding on to it really tightly or like mm-hmm. no giving it away because it's like too much responsibility really? or too powerful or it, it it invokes fear or other people demand it you know no mm-hmm. it's mine or whatever you know so it mm-hmm. kind of like illustrates that by making the pump pump into like a 
portable possession or something like that. Right. And like a literal object, right? Just like mm-hmm. right. or something. Object. Seen yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So I wanted to go to this point. I don't know if y'all remember, but there was like a whole thing on this is on 374 and it talks about how there were fewer problems with the Propecia pump pumps than you might have expected. So it kind of goes through like there was it says it was 124 and it's like talking about the problems. And I feel like there's sort of this like interesting. So one of them, it says um, pump pumps 118 and 119 belong to a couple who played with them all morning and inadvertently mixing them up, slotting them back. They realized their mistake, but it was too late to take them out. And so to the so these two women who loved each other were linked more to were linked together in a more profound way than they'd ever thought possible and treated their genitals with even more reverence than before. And I was like, Ooh, I love that sort of, sort of like a little, you know, like this like little queer story that's like sort of in there. And I like, you know, that was like a really beautiful thing. But then I also thought that's like, if you go down and it says only 13 men attempted to have sexual intercourse with free range pump pumps, even though uh, 1,462 men if questioned the night before would have said that they might given the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, just funny, but also it was just kind of like, I thought that was like interesting, right? This idea of like them just wanting the sex, but not actually maybe wanting to deal with the human who has the pom-pom, right? So I think that was just, um, <laughs> um, so anyway, I thought, Todd, I think you're muted. <laughs> I turned, you know what, I've been saying a lot and going, like, why ain't nobody hear me? No, there's dog stuff happening in the background, so I muted myself. But I, yeah, I think that that is pretty, that's typical of like, again, of, of society, right? And I totally lost what I was going to say because of this whole thing that's happened. That's okay. You go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, th- I wanted to maybe go there because I also, if I'm remembering correctly, didn't like Santine, like, didn't she think that maybe her pom-pom fell out because she did have premarital sex? Yes. Like, wasn't that one of her like... Yeah, she um, was going to, yeah, with her fiance they were gonna have sex right when it fell out right, right? and she was like maybe it fell out because i was doing something wrong mm-hmm. uh, which actually leads me to like the other thing i want us to talk about because there's sort of this whole theme of like christianity in the book right which to mm-hmm. me was like puzzling because like from what i understand Popisha is kind of like wakanda right <laughs> that it's like they were never <laughs> colonized and uh, there's like this whole thing where you know it's just the governor who like leaves to go and like i don't know whatever saw the um i think this was in 386 and he's talking about um going outside to sell it oh right so it says you know but it really wouldn't do for people to find their way to Popisho asking questions about the magic mm. and so it's kind of like okay so it's hidden so i was like so how did like a christianity get into the islands so i just thought that was interesting but there is this whole right sort of theme of christianity which i think goes along with this notion of like propriety and you know kind of like marriage and fidelity and kind of sontin how are we saying her name uh sorry uh but kind of feeling like she did something wrong by like doing something that she wasn't supposed to do. So I just found that like an interesting contrast to kind of this other side where it's like all of these wild things are like happening, right? And wild isn't like literally like nature is like mm-hmm. kind of, you know, going going crazy. And so just um, curious about how y'all were reading that. It's interesting to me because this is, you know, we, this is this, um, you know, kind of mysterious, isolated archipelago. That's that's when we read. We just talked about island. You know, just say island. Time. They talk. They use that <laughs> in the book. Island. I didn't make that up. That says that in the book. <laughs> but when we started reading, we were talking about like how how um, foreign it seemed to us and how different it was. But I think one of the things that's interesting is how um, similar it is to our everyday life, right? I mean, um, when you think about sexuality, like. The same thing is true, like in a, in a sort of warped and and I think bad way um, in the United States that like sexuality is both everywhere and totally forbidden, 
right? right? Such that people's real sort of sexual desires and practices are like hidden behind doors and secretive and all this sort of stuff, right? And the I think like the 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 sort of moments of joy and communion and real connection that happen in the book are often when people like find a way to engage in, um, you know, sexual activities without the feeling of oppression or the need for secrecy or the the surveillance of, you know, or even like the, obligation. Yeah, obligate. Yeah, that's good obligation, right? Like, so outside of the bonds of marriage, I mean, the whole right. like the one of the main things is that uh, Xavier and Anise, like they love each other, but somehow they didn't um, choose each other or didn't tell each other or felt like they couldn't be together. And, you know, as a result of that, there's all this sort of like infidelity and things that are happening. So, I mean, I think like you, we can look at that happening on this island and be like, yeah, that's part of this really different, strange, imagined place. And yet it's part of like our lives, too. The way that sexuality is policed and surveilled and all of that, it's totally out there and yet it's totally secret and behind closed doors yeah i feel like a lot of this book is like people just trying to get free right even on this yeah. island that seems like yeah. so free right because it has all this like magic and like unpredictability yeah. and like right all those things happen but i feel like it's they still feel like constrained by all of these things including right the governor who's like yeah. cheating the population out of like basically their labor mm -hmm. um but yeah, and I think that, you know, sort of sexuality, but also just like sensuality, right? I mean, there's all this stuff like food, right? Crystal, you kind of like brought up food and obviously like one of the main characters is, I don't know how you say that either, but like Machinaeus maybe, right? Like he's basically kind of appointed to be the person who has to feed everybody on the island. And it's like this, he like meets you and like, or maybe just even sees you and like figures out like what your meal is, right? That's <laughs> like, you know, that's like his mad or his magic is like that and like his hands can actually literally flavor the food, I think, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome though, isn't yeah. that awesome? <laughs> yeah, his, it, you know, it's, it's a combination of, you know, being able to flavor the food, but also knowing exactly what you need to eat. You know, that that was, um, you know, that's his contribution. And I, I guess I, I so many questions I feel are still kind of lingering in our conversation. And we've been talking a lot about kind of gender and sexuality. And we talked a lot about that from the frame of, you know, the pom poms and kind of that that form. And we've talked a little bit about it in terms of, you know, repression and what happens when, you know, people don't have the freedom to express themselves to express themselves. But I've just been also thinking about, you know, of course, this in an intersectional way, but thinking about, again, this way that the food is the through line. And so this is why I'm thinking about it in terms of the question of sensuality, because of, you know, the way food connects to that. But I also am wondering, you know, what kind of connections the food, in particular Xavier's cores you know mm -hmm. um, is also connected to sexuality and also kind of the through line of his storyline in terms of him being trained by a female machinius right. um and their kind of complicated relationship and the expectations around that his mm -hmm. you know desires for a niece but that not working out a niece finding out her husband was basically not faithful also connected to their inability to have children like there are all of these right. ways that gender and sexuality and the family kind of keep being intertwined with just everything <laughs> and so it kind of literally is impossible to have a conversation about the impact of gender and sexuality without talking about all of these other kind of things all at once um which is also kind of I think the thing that made me kind of feel so 
I don't want to keep saying ungrounded or unstable because it's it and I'm not feeling I'm not feeling that as negative. It's just how I was just mm-hmm. experiencing the book. And I like Anita how you said early on that the characters are feeling or experiencing these same things. But I've just been really thinking about how to understand what's going on with gender and sexuality in this book and coming to the realization that it can't be separated from any of the other themes and conversations that we have been talking through and talking about. Yeah, I think there is like a point that they make that like male machinias are like pretty rare, right? That it's like, right, and there was like, or like, oh no, maybe the course that he had was like kind of rare, right? Oh, yes. I thought it was the other yes. way around that yeah. Desiree as Machinaeus yes. was rare. Yes, I think that Sorry. is Sorry, so it. maybe it was more the course that was rare for like a man. Um, yes. Like his course that he had was like, so maybe not the Machinaeus part. Sorry, yes. You're okay, right. got you. So yeah, okay. so I do think that there's like something in there around kind of the gendering of that, but you're right. Which okay. also makes me think like, it's like a difference between like, who are the like cooks and who are the chefs, right? Like in our mm-hmm. world too, right? In terms mm-hmm. of like the chefs, the famous ones, a lot of them are male, right? right. But it's like in terms right. of like who does the everyday cooking at homes and like, you know, does yes. the reproductive labor, it's like women. Right. Um, so like actually that does make sense to me. So it's more the course that was kind of like, oh, it's yeah. rare for a man to have it. But like, yes, like Desiree was like unusual in being a female Machinaeus. That actually um, brings up a question because I think I just assumed that Desiree's cores was related to her cooking but do we know what her cores is oh, or what? i don't remember That's a great question okay because i, no. yeah, oh, I just right. assumed that okay. machinaeus if they if you were machinaeus then your cores was something to do with cooking, cooking. but now that but you me, mention i don't know it, that it mentions sure. that yeah okay I know that she I mean, lives the, in like that magic home, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, that's the only yeah. magic I can remember with her is that, is mm-hmm. it called a bandy house? Mm-hmm. Um, that's all. I don't remember any other magic with her. Okay. Oh. Interesting. Okay. And maybe mm-hmm. there might've been a night to move just like, yeah, haven't catch it. It, but that's a great question. Yeah. 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 I just assumed. Um, and I also think that like, yeah, like they're all complicated relationship. Like if it, the genders had been reversed. Mm-hmm. Right. I was like mm-hmm. thinking about that. Right. If it was like a male Machinaeus who had this like very, um, I don't know, all wide ranging relationship <laughs> with their young acolyte, <laughs> like mm. how we would think about that versus like, you know, I mean, maybe we still found it disturbing. I don't know. Like, I guess I'm curious about what you thought about their relationship. Um, but I was also like, yeah, like if it was like the flip, I definitely would have found it disturbing. And this I was like, I don't quite know what to make. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's. Oh man, there's a lot there. I, I kind of want to go just go back and to the thing that you were saying about Desiree being the rare female. I'm gonna say Macanius. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. This, we're gonna, this is gonna happen we'll a lot make, in make this episode up. where yeah, we're just yeah, saying, yeah. okay, but her being like one of the rare female ones, and I think like I I think it's a really important point about how in this world there's this celebrity chef basically. And right. then everybody else. And like, isn't there like, he's, he's, they, they kind of take from the people, right? Like they kind of take their um, recipes and it's sort of like, are they stealing it or are they not? You know, right. like there's. Right. And she kind of says no, right? That they were like willingly yeah. giving it to her. But I don't know if that's true or not, you know? Right. And I just was thinking about how that's such a thing in, in our own society that, mm. as you said, you know, that there are all these male celebrity chefs and then the food that they're, you know, the recipes and the food that they're cooking, the traditions come mainly from women who don't get the credit. Yeah. 
um, for, you know, I think that's something to think about. And then the other thing I just want to throw in, and I'm sorry, because I'm kind of getting off track from your question, Anita, but is the way that race plays into that question in our world. But in this world, because everybody we assume is either indigenous or black or brown, like race doesn't seem to be a big issue in this. I'm not sure if, I mean, I was just thinking when you were talking, I was like, is race really even mentioned in this book hmm. at all? Except for that chapter where the emancipated, like it's a history of the island, um, emancipated right. slaves come to the island and they have a, a war with the indigenous people until the sweet hurricane comes. And then they basically decide to live together in peace. But and other like, than that- re- Like mixed marry or whatever. So yeah, right. so it's not, yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. Right? Well, actually I thought that maybe the indigent were like another, but I don't think so. I think they're just a different class and like a different, mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that that's uh, so right. So it's chapter twenty one that's like talking about the sweetheart. We're like going off on a thing, but I think that's okay. Uh, right, kind of talking about the Civil War, right? And it kind of talks about how um, in eighteen thirty eight twenty. Uh, this is on two eighty seven. Two hundred and three emancipated slaves had slaved there from very far away, arriving in all the beautiful shades of black that were possible. And then it talks about the red and original people. Uh, kind of handed this paperback that what the leader kind of claimed that like made the island. His, and then they fight and then uh this war raged on for many years and then it says on 288 let's see the earth and the sky whipped into vexation by the always mischievous gods took action together they produced a furious and very sudden hurricane which came down on everybody at 307 p.m one clear sky day and what a storm with sweet rain and raging red red wind former enemies took refuge for three whole week while it danced outside uh, ripping up the land so no one could have it very different people were forced to listen to each other and to work to survive. Some people even made babies, said the teacher and the class giggled. And so it kind of talked about, right? And she's like, this is the beginning of you. Out of many come one. So yeah, I think it sounds like, like there were many shades of people, but that it wasn't. You're kind of all mixed together now? Yeah. There wasn't like a racial mm-hmm. structure as far as I could tell. Mm-hmm. But were you thinking that that might have been a thing between Desiree and Xavier as well? No, I. I think I was just thinking about how race is race is an issue in that question of like celebrity chefs oh, versus chefs, like yeah. yeah yeah like how many you know white male chefs are cooking basically soul food or right. barbecue or whatever right. while it was black practitioners and black traditions that um, created right. those things so there is like this question of appropriation in the book but it's not based on race it's maybe based no. on status or class yeah. or something like right. status i guess and i'm trying to remember because he does ask her about it right because he mm-hmm. sort of has all these memories of her mm-hmm. like walking around and um kind of like to him right like stealing mm-hmm. other people's recipes but i feel like she's like she sort of addresses that and is like did you think that they didn't know like that i was taking that did you like if I think she kind of framed it as like it was like an honor for people mm-hmm. to like right. have right sort of the we'll just go with but the even still like she's chef. she's the one then that gets the you know, recognition for you know this great dish or whatever it is um, right I don't know I think it's like a, it's an interesting question I don't yeah. and can we talk about the food too I mean like the food itself uh, yeah. I wish that you I could go to a restaurant and get you know. <laughs> A, a so kind of a sampling menu of some of these dishes because they're dishes I never even thought about before. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was one dish described where I was like, oh, yeah, I've had that. <laughs> right. Well, was, was it also like invented dishes, you think? Like, was she making, like, do you think that it exists? I, I don't know. I mean, I know like the little bit of, you know, Jamaican and Caribbean cuisine that I know of, but 
Right. This was Same. well beyond that. <laughs> of like doubles. Yeah. No, this is not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I also really, you know, I think maybe the other thing that like I think was interesting about him and maybe and it, couldn't tell like it sounded like he was doing it differently right because his whole thing was like who can come to this restaurant was like completely randomly determined right Mm -hmm. he would sort of just like pull names out of i don't know exactly a list or something like that uh which also found a little confusing because i was like is it the whole idea of like that position is that you are supposed to feed everybody on the island at some point um so it's kind of like did people kind of cheat that before like would like would the famous people try to get in like first there, and that's what he was trying to okay yeah wasn't there something like that when yeah i think when he was talking about that that was part of the reason is that the rich and powerful would try to worm their way onto the list somehow or in, through their influential right okay. or or by being the plus one of someone who right had right. an invitation mm-hmm. yeah okay I think that was but he it. was trying to like democratize it more than maybe yeah. it had been in the past yes. and so that was okay, okay. but it's another and thing it's, that's oh go ahead go ahead no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, it's another thing that's not explained. I mean, he has right. each each mechanius has twenty years to feed everyone. Why? Right. I mean, it doesn't explain what it is for. What is there? It's just a tradition. And right. I think, like, this is I don't know. This is like, uh, well, of course, the folklore is to be coming out. Like, um, <laughs> some some traditions have no explanation. You just do them because right. they've been done before, and that's what that's what you're supposed to do, right? Um, but then we ask the question, like, why and what's the purpose? Mm. No, she just always did it that way, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's a yeah. really lovely tradition, right? I mm-hmm. love this idea of, like, I thought you were going to say, like, I'd love to go to a restaurant and have somebody make a meal that's, like, for me. Like, oh, yeah. For yes. me, yeah. Right? Like, right. I want yeah. Without me having that, to say anything. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, they just look at you and then they go in the kitchen right. and fix and you something like, up. If, if all three right. of us went, we would all have, like, three different, like, very different yeah. meals, right? Because exactly. like, they see something in us that sort of says this is the meal they need, right? And even, like, his whole, like, he's all, he's, like, mad throughout the book because, like, basically the governor was, like, forcing him to cater mm-hmm. the wedding, which is, like, kind of not what he wants to do. But in the end, he doesn't, right? Like, basically, what he figures out is that, like, the meal that he needed to make was just for Dandu and Santine, right? And it's, like, just really beautiful. I was going to say, it's maybe one of my favorite things in the book, right? Yeah. Yeah, Like, it was so beautiful. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I just love, I'm like, who knows why the tradition came about, but what an amazing tradition. Like, Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. No, I think we would, I, I was thinking, like, maybe they, you know, we go into a place and they see us together and they make one meal that's for all three of us together. Oh. Which yeah. would be different than if just two of us went in or if one right. of us went in with two other people, Ooh, right? You know, so yeah. the combination of us. I mean, the idea of like, you know, food as food is more than just physical sustenance, right? right. It's more than just right. nourish, nourishment. I mean, even those words, sustenance, nourishment, have like these different valences, right? That can be about spirituality mm-hmm. and other kinds of aspects of our humanity, right? So having a person who is able to feed people what they need, not just to keep their bodies going, but somehow to feed their souls and to feed them as human beings is like a really cool idea and something I think, yeah, everybody would want. And plus like food, I think like there's probably more of these than than I'm thinking of right now, but to me like food and sex are the things that can um, give us, uh, make us feel connected or give us something that can sustain us but also it tastes good and it feels good. Like sensually, it, it's like pleasurable, right? You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. um, like it's not, if I have to get surgery, that's not pleasurable, but I need it, right? To live, right. Or whatever. But, <laughs> but food is this yeah. different thing, right? Um, that it's, yeah. it can be wonderful to eat a beautiful dinner 
and f- you feel like, wow, I needed that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually brings me to my next sort of topic, which I thought was interesting, right? Because you were kind of talking about nourishment and sort of feeling like fulfilled, right? And sort of, right. Um, which would be interesting. So like at the same time, Xavier is like filling other people. Like he's, well, I guess by the time he's doing this, he does give up his addiction, but he's also addicted to, right, moth, which uh, we were kind of saying that, you know, maybe it's like a heroin or something, right? Because everybody on the island seems to just like eat butterflies, which we decided was maybe more like alcohol. Uh, But it's so fascinating to me because he has this, right? He's like fulfilling other people's cravings that they can't even necessarily articulate themselves. But then he has this like craving for this thing that speaks to maybe, right? Something that's like empty in him or like something that he can't fulfill. So I just thought it was like a fast, I just thought it was like a fascinating contrast there, right? In terms of like Mm -hmm. his job. Or like mm-hmm. his like not even job right it's like it's like his destiny or his like mm-hmm. uh, I feel like there's some other word for it that I'm not thinking of but it's like you know uh, so that's like his like what he's doing but then on the other hand like he's unable to like be fulfilled mm-hmm. so yeah like let's talk about the mom. I thought um, so I have two thoughts about this so he was he he's been doing moth his whole life right like right. pretty much since he was a kid and yeah. then. So in Anissa's course is to be able to heal people, heal. right? Mm-hmm. And so she's the one who kind of helps him to get off of moth. And then yeah. of course he's she's the one he's in love with but can't have. Right. So there are these two things out there that he craves like with his whole being, it's moth and it's her. But he can't have moth because mm. that'll destroy his life and he can't have her because she's married to someone else. Mm. And um, so there's like these two longings that are kind of like driving him. And I think it's interesting. This is my second thing is that the one mo- longing, the moth, he he wears it on his body all the time. He always has moth with him, even though he is not going to take it or he doesn't want to. But it's always there reminding him Like that would be a really terrible, you know, moth, moths anonymous, like <laughs> step like. <laughs> You always carry carry the heroin so with you in your pocket. You of terrible you had. <laughs> yeah. We have a really bad re- uh, rate of people slipping back into you know like so um, yeah it's it's kind of like um, this crazy having to be aware of the thing which you are do desire so much or which um, you're obsessed with um, and I don't know what to make of that exactly but there's something there. Yeah, I was just thinking about and wondering, because I think I've forgotten or I wasn't actually ever very clear on it, but who is the first person that um, gives him moth? Is it his mother or Desiree? Because I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about oh. his um, relationships with older women, and I know I know his mother would take him to, I think it was bars when mm-hmm. he was oh, that's young. that's right. And then he, he mm-hmm. learned that uh, he, he finally figured out who his dad was and that was a whole situation and so I was just I was just thinking about you know what the source of his addiction was and trying to kind of have some thoughts around that but I was a little hazy on his relationship with his mother but regardless of whether she was the one or not his relationship with his mother was one where he saw her addiction Right. And he mm-hmm. was in the presence of her addiction. And I'm just thinking about that as it relates to his own addiction and, you know, his desires. Um, and then also yeah. finding out who his father was and his father cooking that or the man he thinks his father cooking that meal right. and him mm-hmm. 
stumbling up while well, he followed the man and saw the man cooking this meal and then you know ate some it, it just was it's a lot going on yeah, that was there. totally weird i feel like that was a story that i was like wait what's happening yeah. like <laughs> yeah um i don't know that he says that he was like really young but i can't remember um who gave him his first moth okay. i can't remember right. that was early in the book wasn't it mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah, so like his dad, like or the person he thinks might have been the man, like melts, right? Right. This <laughs> mm-hmm. is so, so on one eighty two, yeah. and he's like in front of him. The blue man's body was melting, and as a blue, I was like, "What? What's happening?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I feel like it was like a whole. Um, I th- I think that was yeah. at the point in the novel where like stuff I didn't understand. I was just like, "I'll come back to that later." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me just go <laughs> to the next page. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then but I, I also. I don't know that he always had a moth, right? Isn't it that whole thing that like the fisherman's son feels guilty and gives him one, and that's when he starts like wearing it? The one that I feel like comes I think up he had one before that. I think all, all the he? time too. That oh, wasn't okay. his first okay. time. I think maybe he yeah. had been um, clean. For he had been clean. clean. I thought, yeah, yeah, since like the niece helped him. But he and, has. I, um, he has it when you he's think he was, like, with, carrying one around. Yeah, he's carrying one around when he's um, with R- Romanza because he's worried about it getting wet in the water when they're right. But that's the one that the fisherman's son gave him as like. So a, is that what that apology. is? I think so. To explain so that, because like, I don't I remember. Had, I don't remember that scene. I was trying to remember like when there was something that happened, right? Wasn't it like the fisherman? Basically, like, the fisherman's son knew that uh, Naya had died, and oh. there's this tradition around when a person dies, their yes. ghost will come back to oh, that's a person. The very right? And yeah. so, um, yeah. the fisherman's son knew Naya died, but didn't immediately tell yes. Xavier, so that then he couldn't make sure he greeted Naya, the ghost, Naya's ghost. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and, yeah, and so. Right. Because Naya had never come to Xavier, Xavier starts feeling guilt about his relationship with her. And and, so, and he also, he's mad at the boy because it's like, you should have told me immediately so that I could, you know, have been okay. watching out. And so the boy kind of gives Xavier this moth yes. as yes. an apology. So the moth is, the moth is symbolic of a lot of things right like yeah. the loss of naya yeah his guilt over you know how he treated her mm-hmm. um she's not his true love like right. the fact that he married her in the first place, place. Yeah. and then we find out later like that she comes back and she goes to another man who's yeah, her real right. love right yeah and, and they dance until she disintegrates oh. Like, oh. yeah oh my gosh both romantic yeah. and like very yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that makes the moth. Yeah. That makes that make a little bit more sense. I mean, so a I think different... when he was clean, yeah. he didn't have it around him. Okay. But then, like, it brings all this back because, like, yeah. not only is he, like, feeling guilty about his wife, but, like, basically he hasn't, you know, now he has, well, like, a potentially, he could, like, fall back into the addiction. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. when we're most uh, vulnerable to right. that kind yeah. of. Because, like, if I've learned anything from watching, you know, um, those shows on TV about people with addiction. Uh, yeah. It is that there's always this part of the show where they're like, what is the source of the addiction? And it's always like some trauma or mm-hmm. some feeling of inadequacy mm-hmm. or something's happened to them um, that they can't shake off and they're trying yeah. to avoid pain. Right. And so right. that would certainly fit with him mm-hmm. is yeah. that there's this pain yeah. and guilt that he can't, that, that he's been reminded of all over again, even by her death. Right, right that he can't right. sort of avoid or especially by her death right yeah, yeah like yeah. the fact that she like 
couldn't take it anymore and like yeah. right sort of does that um but yes thank you for remind- yes it was definitely yeah that was great right. i was like i was like, I, was like I know he got the moth i don't remember <laughs> i guess i did understand something in this book yeah you understood that real well you explained it real clearly i mean that was fantastic like don't um, quote me don't know <laughs> no we will quote you i was like yes yes that's what it was i was like i couldn't remember like what he did wrong but it was definitely him trying to make up for the fact that yeah he did something wrong but that was exactly it because he had seen he had seen her mm-hmm. walk and or you know mm-hmm. or seen the body and yeah. right and then didn't tell him that's mm-hmm. right that's right okay yeah um and, mm-hmm. go ahead go ahead i'm sorry oh um i don't know if there's other things but i guess i did want to maybe kind of a way to end is to actually just talk about the ending right yes there's like you know, it's kind of interesting because there's like a lot happening and it's not till maybe halfway through the book we're like, oh, there's like another sweet hurricane coming, right? Like, and that's what's like whipping up all of the stuff mm-hmm. that's happening. Like there's like some fruit that just like starts growing everywhere and like yeah. people are like mm-hmm. fighting their way through. Um, so basically it's like another sweet hurricane coming and the idea, like at least in the, right, in the history that we learn is that it was basically kind of the gods sending the sweet hurricane to like basically stop the foolishness of mm-hmm. like the people, right? Like the foolishness of humans. And Todd, you Which were saying but Popisha, it, yes. it means Popisha means foolishness. <laughs> right. So I just thought it was like really interesting that it's happening again, right? Because like basically like things are off balance and things are off, right? Like humans are basically like screwing up things. And one of the big things that's off is that the governor, right, who decided that instead of like having the toy factory make the toys for the children of Popisha, that they were gonna like sell that, and so that's what's what's gonna happen. And so I was just curious about. Um, yeah, like let's talk Can, about the ending and just like I love the ending because I thought yeah. it was like such a hopeful, magical one. I just wanted to put, point out real quick that the governor, I think th- that we know of, is the one person on the island who's been off the island, right? Because his core is speed. So yes. I think he was like a track star and has gone around the world, and so he has gone other places and has brought back economic uh, what's the development, word? globalization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I, I was I was even thinking of uh, uh, what is the word I'm thinking of? I can't think of it. Yeah, Just taking advantage of folks for their labor. Exploitation. Exploitation. Yes. He's brought that back to the island. And so that is that's his thing. That's yeah. he, he's sort of the, the entry point of evil from the West, even though they haven't been colonized by any other place. He's sort of the entry point to bring it to the island, I think, right. which is important right. to point out. But yes, yeah, and I, I loved like yeah, go, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Because EO basically is like the way we're gonna free ourselves is that everybody's gonna get the toy and you're gonna go sell it yourself to these like yes. ships that come because we can all share in. Yes. Right, basically the economic benefit of like doing that. That ain't nothing but socialism. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I love the fact that uh EO is he's basically a graffiti writer like that's awesome and that's the that's how this sort of idea begins to kind of like take root among the people is that the orange man which turns out to be not just one person but more than one person who's writing on the wall there is another alternative or variations of that phrase right and so that's um starts to get sort of lodged in people's minds so that when he does jump on stage at the what's it called pretty gal contest (laughs) which is pretty amazing like like, I'm like, what the? And everybody in town is at this contest, and it's like crazy. Right. Like everybody just moves through town. They're all drunk and boisterous, and end up at this theater. Where the, where crazy. it's actually not about looks. It's about how right. how well you can like debate. Yeah. Yes. 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 
But in the end, it's also like screwed up because basically the governor gets to decide and it's like the woman who's like willing to sleep with him, right? right? Who like gets like, so yes, right? It is supposed to be about the debate, but at the end, it's another but Desiree did say in the, the end, like, no, that's not the reason though. We all agree that you were the best, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever they finally tell. Right, uh, right. at the end, yeah. right, 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 yeah. right. But it, I do feel like it's like another thing that like the governor yes. was like trying to corrupt in terms of like what was happening on the island. Yeah, but he I think, messes everything up. And, but, and, and I actually, I wanted to talk a little bit more because like right now we have we are critical of the governor as we should be but i think there's this kind of fine line when people are trying to go out there and like make it for whoever your country is and then you end up getting corrupted by you know Mm -hmm. the very Mm -hmm. exposure Mm -hmm. that you're trying to strive for your people um like the result of that because you know as he's describing what he's doing, you know, in some ways I'm a little, I feel a little something for him in terms of, you know, what he's doing out outside of Poppy Show, but the fact that he then exploits his own people, mm-hmm. that that becomes kind of the problematic nature of it. But, you know, he said, I sacrificed. He said everything he did was for this place. People objected when he started selling the toys overseas, but look at them now with their telephones and their electricity and blasted Xavier Red Juice with his modern cook pan and refrigerators, <laughs> right? Um, and so right. he also exploited himself. He exploited his cores to get convenience modern convenience for for the people right. but then he also you know exploits the people um mm-hmm. but as, so it's just as complicated it's not so kind of black and white right in terms of the way right. we are critiquing or should critique his behaviors because this is not so easy and also like his cores was something that's like looked down upon it seemed like right so this is on 386 uh-huh. and he says um he'd proven that he was more than a dirty foot runner boy right. that was for sure mm-hmm. and i was like mm-hmm. oh like so it was like something that mm-hmm. like he didn't come from like necessarily like he wasn't like privileged right when he was born right. or maybe mm-hmm. he was even mm-hmm. like indigenous in, in, indigenous um i can't say that word but anyway like i, I think that's also interesting right because i think that's also like this common story where it's kind of like somebody coming from right kind of a marginalized background who then is able to right, get this power mm-hmm. and that like power always like corrupts right but i think like one thing that to think about too in these situations is like this island is like so many islands in the caribbean which is what one of the reasons that made them an object of colonialism was they have like almost inexhaustible stores of like resources and mm-hmm. food. I remember, you know, I've, I've never been to Jamaica, but I remember someone telling me um, who was who from there, like, you can go out of your house in the mountains and the food is there on the trees. Right. Like it's mm-hmm. it's in the book, like it's it's just like whatever you need to eat is right there growing yeah. wild. Mm-hmm. You just have to know to pick it. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's like this bounteous place. And so the question becomes like, what does it look like to have what you need? Uh, do you need telephones and, and cook pots and all these sort of things? Or do you just need sustenance? You just need like, you know, what they already had. So the question might be like, even though he got them, right, the, the, you know, this technology or this modern way of living was, it seems like they were really n- not happy. <laughs> like that wasn't, and plus they were being exploited on top of that. Right. And he was taking the, the bulk of the money. Right. So maybe they would have been happier had they just all shared what the land provided or what they could create together, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Did they need what he was... Oh, I was going to say, did they need what he went to get? But then also, I mean, the question is, who sent him out? 
did he just mm, decide mm, to go mm, out? Like who sent him out? Right. Because mm, there had to be, there had to have been some knowledge of something outside of the Pope outside, show for him to right. even venture out in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so right. Just... Yeah. And it was also like, you know, is it possible to have that without the exploitation? Right. Cause it's like, and I think that's what EO is like maybe pointing at. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's not that we won't like, it's not like his solution wasn't like, we're going to just shut down the factories right. or we're just going to like give it to the kids on Papisha, right? He was kind of like, we can all, right? Like yes. sell the toys and like get money. And then like, so we could all have like whatever, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The electricity and the modern right. uh, appliances, but also we get to share in the wealth. So I think that's right. the, and I it was the indigenous hopeful vision. It was the indigent who did that, right? Like who right. went and took yes. all the stuff from the factory and yep. put it on a box on everyone's step. So right. everybody would have right. it. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. And yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I didn't understand a lot, but I did love the ending because I think it was just a like hopeful like way to think about it, right? Because like a lot of things kind of get, you know, like Anise and Xavier find each other, right? And there's like, you know, Ramanza and I, I assume, right, his lover like are still good. And like there's, you know, a lot of ways in which I feel like things kind of end on a happy note, right? Or just like mm-hmm. it could it could be better, right? That it's like mm-hmm. this, this hopeful moment. So maybe not happy, maybe, maybe it ends with hope, not like necessarily yeah. happiness. Mm-hmm. And I... Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know. I feel like a lot of the times when we read books, like, and I get it, right? It's like realistic endings, and it's just like really depressing. But I feel like I read this book and finished, and I was like, yes, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, just left me feeling happy. <laughs> I think the last seventy pages or so, like, I mean, there were, you know, when you get into the pretty girl contest, I mean, it's there's there's some tension there, and there's you know drama and everything. But then you know the right. pages which are about the resolution, especially the couples who love each other who are finally able to be together and there's like a whole bunch of them even if it's naya from the dead you know dancing with her the the man that she really loved until she disintegrated like that's sad and you know wonderful Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. there are are these people who are finally able to be together which is really beautiful i think and yeah yeah inspiring Mm -hmm. yeah we need that some days most Heck days. yeah, I need that every day. Yeah. <laughs> Most days, all days. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> right. So I think like, I, I think I told you guys before we started recording that kind of how I feel about this book is when I first started it, if if we didn't have, if we weren't reading it for the show, I might have stopped because I, I felt at points like confused and I wasn't sure what was happening. And that might be just like the way I'm used to having a book sort of work on me. Yeah. But I'm so glad that I finished it. Because like, like you guys, I mean, I just really love that end. And, uh, you know, maybe the last 150 pages, I was just like, going super fast through it trying to get, you know, trying to figure out what was going to happen next or see what was going to happen next. So I think, um, yeah, there, there are books like that, which you at some points, you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, what? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then once you get to the end, even though in this one, even though all the answers aren't provided necessarily, but you get to this emotional place, which is definitely a payoff. So, yeah. So it was, uh, I'll give a, I'll give a shout out to uh, Lane Lawless, who, who uh, suggested this book for us. Thank I don't you. know if we, yes, thank you. She says like yeah, a favorite book ever. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to end. It was a 
yes, a beautiful emotional place to end in terms of the book and maybe now too. (laughs) So, all right, let us go around and do our round of what you've been reading, watching, listening, eating, whatever's been bringing you joy or something you hated and want to tell us to (laughs) stay away from. (laughs) So, Crystal, do you want to start us off? Yes, I can start. Um, It's so funny because I ordered and started reading uh, Trisha, Trisha Hersey's book, Rest is Resistance. It came out at the end of last year and really, you know, Trisha, Trisha Hersey is also known as the Nap Bishop. And so her whole ministry is kind of self-care as resistance a la Audrey Lord, but also like everybody just need to take more naps. Um, and I really appreciate <laughs> that about her, her, her kind of critique of the grind culture of capitalism and how we all just need to actually reject that and slow down and disengage. But what I think is really funny is that I'm trying to read this book, but I'm just so reading it so slowly. Although the book, the pace of the book is so fast. I mean, for Trisha Hersey's whole ministry to be like slow and calm, the, 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 the urgency of this book is so like, stop doing it now. So I have like, not finished take it. a nap now. Exactly. Like, I'm going to take I'm gonna stop reading this book and take a nap. Okay. <laughs> okay. I may not come back to this book, but I really appreciate that you told me to take a nap, which I am now doing, which I think is actually more important than finishing this book. So. <laughs> I feel like I had You're like, the, you got the point. Yes. I feel like I received that divine revelation many, many years ago when I was but a child. <laughs> Perhaps I am the Messiah of napping. Of napping, exactly. <laughs> she's the she's the nap bishop, you're the nap big bishop. I don't know. <laughs> big bishop. Whatever's above the bishop. I'm real good at napping, that's all I can right, say. Right. Right. The, the nap pope. You're the nap pope. You're the nap pope. The nap pope, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks crystal was that your one yes that's my one got no time for nothing else <laughs> yeah you're not she's taking too many naps uh okay so here's mine which is i told you guys about this i think a, a few weeks ago but i did not know the writer mildred taylor um, yes yeah so for for christmas my brother and his wife got um one of my nieces emma a collection of Mildred Taylor's books, which is, I think there's like nine of them, nine novels, YA novels. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was like, hey man, have you heard of Mildred Taylor? And I was like, uh, no. And I was really embarrassed because I teach African-American literature, but I had never heard of her books. And so he sent me a link and I was like, oh, that sounds nice. And then I said to my niece, when I saw her last time, which was in January, I said, I'm gonna read one of these books with you. I'll read the first one with you. And then we could talk about it, you know, cause we would have read it together. So she was reading something else. So I went ahead and started reading it. And it's called, the first one's called The Land. And that book is amazing. I love that book. I love that book so much. Yes. It might be right now my favorite book that I've read, I don't know, in years. Really? And it's not like, yeah, I mean, it's a YA novel. It's about this, um, it's about a biracial kid who's born hmm. and it takes place um, in after emancipation times. And his father hmm. is the was, was the master. His mother was a slave, hmm. but they still live on this plantation after emancipation and his father kind of claims him, but he has to, like, he realizes at some point, you know, when he gets to be like in in his teenage years that his, even though his father claims him and makes it so he can learn to read and all that kind of stuff, that he'll never be accepted as a a white person is. And when his brothers and family kind of like, you know, kind of betray him because of that, he's hurt and he like leaves. Mm -hmm. And it's like what he does with his life after he leaves 
I mean, it's, it's just great. It's mm. great writing. And you guys have read another one of her books. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I actually didn't recognize the name, but then when I was looking up what she had written, I realized that I'd read um, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, yeah. sometimes right. in like elementary school yep. or junior high school. So is that the one she won like the Caldecott for that or yes, something like I that? Yes, I think that's the yeah. one she won. Uh, yeah. Newberry. Newberry, sorry. Okay, so she won the Newberry for that. But I still had never heard of her. And I think it's because it was YA. And then, of course, I went mm. to, you know, crappy schools <laughs> primary schools where we didn't read any novels <laughs> so i didn't yeah, i didn't get introduced yeah. to her yeah. but i'm so glad it's i recommend i mean i don't know about the other ones but i, I assume that you know the one you guys are talking about is probably even oh, better yeah. so it's i'm just good. like moving yeah. on to the next one which is called the well so i'll okay. let you know how that one goes when i finish it so okay Nice. Yeah, I got the land and I got um, Roll of Thunder here by Cry to reread because I couldn't quite remember mm-hmm. um, the book. So I'm looking forward to reading those. Um, actually, my recommendation is also a YA novel and it's called The Firekeeper's Daughter by mm. Angeline Boyer. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Um, and the main character, Donna's, who's a young woman who's Ojibwe and French Canadian. She's kind of like on the older range. I think she's like 19 maybe when the book starts. So st- still young adult, but like a little bit older. And she's just like a super compelling character. Uh, I would say the book isn't like easy to read. I mean, there's like, you know, suicide and drug violence and like, you know, sort of the theme of like missing and murdered indigenous women. But also it's like really amazing in terms of just like a really strong message of like cultural and community resilience, right? And she's like really connected to her family and her culture. And a lot of that is like the, you know, basically like what helps her, right? Kind of like deal with all these things that kind of come up. So yeah, highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. So our next book, speaking of books, is a classic. It's going to be James Baldwin's Giovanni's Room, which Todd has read, but Crystal and I have not. So it'll be our first time reading it. So we're looking forward to digging into that. And yeah, as always, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places where you can listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. And we are sending you all big virtual hugs. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of The Drip recorded in St. Paul, Minneapolis, and the Hyde Park neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. Our show is written, produced, and directed by Anita Chikatur, Crystal Moten, and me, Todd Lawrence. We are the All Spoilers Collective. For our next show, we will be discussing a classic novel by the late, great James Baldwin, Giovanni's Room. This is one you won't want to miss, so make sure you get yourself a copy and be on the lookout for the episode to drop in the next couple of weeks. Until then, as always, take care of yourselves and each other.